0: Good morning, this is the Tanya for the 30th of Shvat. Yesterday, we began discussing how a cheshbon nefesh a personal accounting, is done. The idea is that when you seriously examine your thoughts and actions, you'll realize how far from perfect, and in fact, how problematic, your behavior has been, and thus you'll attain a broken heart. The end goal is, of course, not the broken heart itself, but to break your ego and shatter the numbness and indifference that covers your heart. Only after that can the genuine light of your soul shine through, enabling you to reconnect with God, with your true self, and to feel real emotion again. Yesterday, we studied a list of specific ideas to ponder when you are taking that personal accounting. All of them were focused on forbidden deeds that you may have done. Today, we add an additional idea to contemplate as part of your cheshbon hanefesh, your personal accounting. The motives behind your actions, even positive actions. Your interactions with others, the good deeds you do, the persona you display to others, why do you do them? What motivates you? Why is this important? Because all permissible activities that you engage in, if they are done for mundane purposes and not specifically as a way to connect with God, you've entered risky territory. Even if you've ensured the food was fully kosher, the relationship follows Jewish law, the entertainment venue is fine, Where is your head and heart? Why are you doing these things? These deeds are not automatically evil, of course. The Torah permits them, which means they can be used as a way to connect with God. But they can also be misused, guided by selfish goals and desires, and that connects the doer with the forces of impurity and evil. Anything that isn't done for a higher purpose, to connect with God, by default connects you to the opposite, to the klipot, to the forces of impurity. How can you identify your underlying motivation in all these areas? It's easy to fool yourself, but at the end of the day, the only one affected is you. It's like the difference between a bookkeeper and a business owner. Both go over the books and check the income and expenditures, but there's a huge difference. When the bookkeeper notices a discrepancy or a mistake in the books, he still sleeps well at night. The impact of the error has nothing to do with him. But for the business owner, the numbers are so much more than just an Excel spreadsheet. He understands that the audit will affect him personally. If there's a problem with balancing the books, he can't sleep at night. When taking a spiritual accounting of where you are holding, you need to be like that business owner, auditing your thoughts, your words, and your actions from throughout your entire life. Where are you holding? Are you connecting to God with your everyday thoughts, deeds, and interactions? Or maybe not, God forbid. Maybe self-centered goals are guiding you, even though the behavior itself is not implicitly negative. Now, once you're contemplating your thought patterns, you need to remind yourself about the power and impact of your thoughts. Many people think that thoughts are insignificant, but it's not like that at all. Whatever actions you are doing, even mundane ones, are influenced and elevated by your motivation. If your motivation is holy, you become a chariot for godliness. What's a chariot? A chariot, or any vehicle, is operated by the rider or the driver, and it goes wherever it is directed to go. The chariot has no personal opinion or desire regarding the choice of destination. It speeds up, slows down, and turns according to the instructions of the rider. When you ensure that your thoughts and deeds are not selfishly motivated, but are intended to fulfill God's will, you become a chariot for God. All those potentially mundane activities and interactions become holy too, but the same applies in the inverse. Unholy self-centered thoughts turn you into a chariot for the forces of impurity, and the same applies to words or deeds that were motivated by selfishness or unholiness. There is an additional somewhat surprising factor to consider when making a personal accounting of your spiritual state, and that is your dreams at night. Do dreams mean anything? On the one hand, the Talmud states that dreams are senseless, but on the other hand, God often spoke to the prophets in dreams and our sages occasionally received answers via dreams to queries that they couldn't resolve while awake. The Zohar states that the value and meaning of dreams depends on the spiritual status of the dreamer. When a person sleeps, his soul is supposed to rise up in the spiritual worlds and recharge for his next day's mission, but not everyone merits this. Dreams are a very subtle and deep way to measure your spiritual state. You may control your conscious self very well, your thoughts, your words, and your actions, but your subconsciousness is not something you can control. How can you tell where your subconsciousness is holding spiritually? Via dreams. That's where your subconscious flows freely, revealing what's deep in your heart and mind. Not receiving godly solutions to your questions or prophecy in your sleep? Guess what? you aren't perfect, you have room to grow spiritually. Have a wonderful day.